Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jayanelli, and the Ravnican guilds put a bounty on my head for safeguarding Ravnican valuables during the Eternal Invasion. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and Ravnican guilds put a bounty on my head because I apparently overuse the eyes emoji, even though I'm just doing it to flirt with cuties all the time, which is important. <laughs> I'm Brian Dawes, and the Ravnican guilds put a bounty on my head for stealing all of the guild's popcorn while the invasion was going on. I'm Ashley Barrow, and there's a bounty on my head for staying up all night playing Skyrim. <laughs> I'm Carrie Thomas, and the Ravnican guilds have put a bounty on my head for unspecified joke crimes. Alright everybody, so this week is going to be a mailbag episode. We have not answered listener questions in like a couple months now. Oops! Uh, so we are going to start catching up on all of these listener questions that we have not answered for a while. If you are listening to this in the present, it's preview week for, or it's the first week of previews for Modern Horizons. Uh, you probably saw some cool stuff over the weekend, and today! Is it really? Yep. That's so soon. <laughs> However, we record this the previous week, so you will not hear us talk about uh, the previews until our Flavor Gems episode on Modern Horizons. But let me just say that Urza Maltani hybrid card, so <sighs> sweet. <laughs> but you can listen to our preview episode on Thursday, May 30th, which is when our preview comes out. They're doing something really cool uh, this time around where they've announced everyone who's getting previews in advance. And they have a whole uh, basically matrix of everyone who's getting it and what day they're getting it. It's not a matrix. It's just a list. But they are updating the list with links to all the preview articles or podcasts or streams or whatever that people are doing to preview their cards. So we're going to link to the article. That article is going to be updated in real time with those links to wherever things get previewed. So uh, follow along with that article and uh, enjoy seeing all the awesome cards from this set that I absolutely worked on and is unbelievably amazing. So, with that said, let's move on to our listener questions. So, which behavior of a shark do not mix well with a crab habits? What kind of spell would you use to create a fish octopus crab? And that's from at Jason Vorthos on Twitter. I guess that's directed at me, huh? Probably. It's tricky because sharks are very aggressive predators. Most of them do need to keep moving, um more from their metabolic needs than anything else. Uh, crabs, not so much. Crabs like sitting still. They are in the middle of the food web. So how do you get a crab and a shark to get all the food it needs while still being defensive enough to avoid predators? And you do that, I guess, by putting an octopus on it and making the thing just gigantic like Sharktopus's art. Because that sucker's big. The, the What kind of spells is Simic Biomancy. Uh, we saw in the War of the Spark novel, Vorel has a club that he can use Biomancy to kind of turn Eternals inside out anatomically. Uh, similar things can be used to 
morph and mutate animals in a way that isn't like horrific like the flesh shaping on Grixis. But uh yeah, that's that's the real actual answer, I guess. So so there you go. Sharktopuses. So our next question comes from at Damien Evans7 on Twitter. Why is Merritt Lage subtly manipulating Nicol Bolas from behind the scenes? I feel like a lot of Magic fans fall into the trap of wanting every villain to be interrelated. And I mean, War of the Spark really didn't help with that because it just dragged a whole bunch of Planeswalkers together. But I think we can all admit that it is Merritt Lage just pulling the strings. <laughs> Thank you! Thank you! In the same way... Liliana had to get her power somewhere, so she negotiated a contract with Nicol Bolas. Nicol Bolas had to get that original power somewhere, and <laughs> I, I, there's only one place, let's be honest. It's those dark depths. See, I was happy that Carrie was agreeing with me, and then I remember it's Carrie agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> Automatically, the credibility just plummeted. I think it's been pretty clear that Mirror Lage um, has been at least somewhat likely majorly involved in the plot since Shadows Over Innistrad. Um, if you look closely at a lot of the art, not a lot of people notice this, but if you look closely at a lot of the art in Shadows Over Innistrad, you can actually see tentacles. I'm getting a migraine. <laughs> can only mean one thing, and that is Mirror Lage. Okay, <laughs> listeners, everybody say it with me. It's never, never Merit Lage. Lage. It's always Merit Lage. It's never Merit Lage. Always. So just for reference, Ashley is referencing the incredibly popular Merit Lage theory for Shadows Over Innistrad, uh, which was the thing. And I was there too until more evidence came out that it was Emrakul. I will call it a cop-out that everybody was like, oh, I was only on the Merit Lage bandwagon because I was too disappointed with the possibility of it being Emrakul. And it's like, no, you were on the Merit Lage bandwagon, like full force. I was on the Merit Lage bandwagon because I was dumb, but then I, got, I I stopped being dumb. For what it's worth, the card Engulf the Shore has art that does deliberately reference Merit Lage's token art. Um, there's a couple pieces in that set that reference older Magic Art cards. Because um, it, like, it, Shadows of Innistrada was a set built around Mystery, and an important part of Mystery is Red Herrings. So uh, there, there's a couple elements in there. He had one piece of art referencing the visuals of the Merit Lage token, and you had, I think, about 60 pieces referencing Emrakul stuff. So, But that just further... I don't think that's a red herring. I think that actually just further proves my theory that Merit Lage was there because Emrakul and Merit Lage are dating. Well, I mean... And they are in love. Of course they're dating. But that's enough about that. So our next question comes from at Lazador online on Twitter. How is it possible for Ravnica to lose against the Eternals with all the worms, angels, hellions, goblins, giants, crocodiles, weirds, etc.? The list keeps growing. You know what? I'm just going to say it. Plot armor. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> they have to. I No, it's like... That's that's half a joke, but um, you have to make a compelling conflict. Like, there's assuredly millions of people on Ravnica, but there's a reason he had 
multiple generations of undead being piloted in from Amenkat. And it's because, like, he needed to overwhelm whatever force he was doing, or whatever force he would end up going up against. So, that's the real answer, as disappointing as that is to hear from me. Not to mention, Nicol Bolas himself uh, drove back Aurelia and the Angel Corps when he arrived. I'm pretty sure that was addressed pretty early in the story. The Angels from the Boros Legion approached his citadel and he drove them back by himself. And that was before... The portal opened, so they were already down, I'm, I'm assuming, a significant portion. So so I suspect this question also came from before the whole plot was revealed. So also, the point wasn't to conquer Ravnica, but to lure the Planeswalkers into open conflict, that the Eternals could grab them. They weren't really after the worms, angels, hellions, or goblins, unless they had sparks. Right. It's not possible for Ravnica to lose against the Eternal Army because the Eternal Army was never meant to conquer Ravnica. Let's move on to the next question. Was just wondering, what are some of the major historic wars the Boros have been in? As well, are there wars like battles that go on in the background of everyday life on Ravnica? And that's from at Wolfiestar123 on Twitter. There's a pretty simple answer to that, and it's that they're basically always at war. They're not like, it's not a war, it's not a plane that has like different countries who are at war with each other. It's not like uh, they're meeting on a battlefield against some other army. They're just constantly, you know, like we were just talking about worms and monsters, and there's also the Rakdos rioting constantly, the Gruul rioting constantly, and those are the two factions they're mostly fighting against. Um, so... It's not, they mostly don't fight in a specific war. It's just constant, constant chaos on the plane that they're fighting. So I'll, I'll note that in the original Ravnica, it's, we get the dates for several like major Rakdos uprisings that like the latest one wiped out like half the Boros Legion and they were still struggling to, you know, renew their ranks around the time of the original uh, Decamillennial celebration. So our next question comes from Cube April on Twitter. Oh, sweet Jeebus. Nicolbolus the Ravager seems like a fairly civilized dragon, and so I've always wondered, where does he poop? Does he have a giant toilet for himself stashed somewhere on Amonkhet? Or does he have zombies clean up giant piles he left in the middle of the street? So, just to clarify... Cube April did not put the Ravager on there. I put it there because I have this um, Chrome extension that auto-links to pictures of the cards. <laughs> and the picture that was coming up was the Mythic Edition Nicobolus God Emperor or God or Dragon God that I'm not going to be getting. So it hurt me too much to look at that. So That's fair. I'm going to give a somewhat serious answer to this or somewhat serious redirect answer to this, is, like, I think we all know that Harry Potter went into this. Oh god! They had their whole Pottermore tweeting out about vanishing the evidence was a actual method, according to Pottermore Twitter. Um, And I do want to redirect a lot of people to a very, very good essay that Mike Rugnetta from... PBS Idea Channel and a few other things wrote, and it's called Canon is an Abyss. And it's <laughs> the dangers of 
doing too much of this. <laughs> and where people kind of have to draw the line at canon and authorial intent. And yeah, go ahead and read that. I think it delves into the issue more than we could ever hope to in this podcast and also talks about people vanishing poop. So what else can you do? Okay, the actual serious, very much shorter answer is, look, April, we have a card called Throne of the God Pharaoh. Case closed. Uh, See, now I'm ashamed of my answer. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how Lorelai gave that answer and Carrie gave their answer. Like that, that's just topsy-turvy world. That's probably how April wanted it. So our next question comes from the Beast ANW on Twitter. Is it known how Yanggu planeswalks with Mowu? I looked into it and came up with nothing. I mean, we have the quote from the book that I think is personally moderately unsatisfying. I don't even remember what the exact wording is, and I'm not going to look it up in this moment. But he implies that Mowu is made of rock or non-organic material which would be easier to planeswalk through the eternities with and i think a lot of people have taken different interpretations to that comment um including that the little amulet that he wears and that yangu has on his staff would allow him to planeswalk with him or that it's just a special ability as mark rosewater has said on his tumblr or that they are doing the full pre-mending I am planeswalking with somebody. I am going to flatten them into two-dimensional space and make them, or make them from stone, so that they actually survive the journey. We yeah, we did mention this last week a little bit. Yeah, it's something. I I don't really have a preference there. I just know that he does it, and that people love Mowu, so you're gonna have him wherever Yangu is. Look, I think it's perfectly clear when Gideon asks him how he can bring his dog, and Yangu says, magic dog. I think that just explains everything very succinctly. <laughs> I mean, we re- do people really want to wade into the abyss of this canon? Yeah, that's that's a good point following the last question, is I, I, I think there are plenty of rational explanations within the metaphysics, and it's probably something that'll get explained a little bit better when it's not like a, a one-liner from, from Yangu when we have like a, a him appearing more in something. So until then, yeah, that was that was the kind of offhand answer. So our next question comes from the the E little E. Am I making it up or did Soren bite Nahiri during their fight in Shadows over Innistrad? I was hoping the next time we saw Nahiri, she would have become a vampire. So, two things about this. I'll answer this because I, I did look it up uh, after I saw this question. Yes, Soren bit Nahiri. However, just a vampire bite uh, from an Innistrati vampire is not enough to turn you into a vampire. There's a section on this in the Planeswalker's Guide to Innistrad on Stensia and Vampires. Uh, And the line here is, although other humans might suspect the survivor of a vampire's bite of becoming a vampire, this isn't a possibility because siring requires an exchange of blood. The survivor will be plagued by disturbing and sometimes erotic dreams for years, but will not turn. So... (laughs) 
don't wild, like that. Wild I don't like that. I don't like the implications. <laughs> so while, That's really while, bad implications. <laughs> so while Nahiri will not be turning into uh, a vampire, she might be having um, intimate dreams about Soren for a while now. I wish you could see my face right now. Please, please, I cannot allow this on our on our sacred podcast. Anybody who ships Soren with Nahiri, you're disgusting. <laughs> that's, that's we're all on it. It's like explicitly said to be a mentor slash father daughter relationship in multiple places. It's just don't do that, please, for me. I also I don't like. Okay, so just imagine just Soren is the type of fir- person to like bite in like in a fist fight like like a little child he's a nasty boy (laughs) he clearly did he would be so if he was in my son's daycare uh his parent like edgar markov would get a note about how uh the teachers had to talk to him about appropriate expressions of his feelings with friends (laughs) and the the teachers the teachers at the school wouldn't name nahiri but like we would know it's nahiri because, like, the two kids would be, like, eyeing each other up, and, like, little toddler Soren would walk out, and the first thing he'd do is drop a dime on Nahiri. I bit Nahiri because she took my toy. And that's that's generally what it's like living with Yeah, toddlers. but Edgar's dead. So... We do not know if Edgar is dead. Edgar's implied... Edgar's missing and implied to be dead. That doesn't mean he's dead dead. He's just on vacation. Don't, don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next question comes from Mana Symbol. Now that the ending for Bolus has been revealed, do you think we get a young planeswalker having to go and interview him to find out about other villains or schemes? Can Magic have a Hannibal Lecter now? I I don't like this for the same reason. I don't like all the eggs in one basket with every other villain. It's a little too tied up narratively and... I, I feel like it just doesn't feel natural to kind of follow that chain of command. More importantly, Bolas cannot be Magic's Hannibal Lecter because he really doesn't like eating humans. They taste bad. What do they taste like quoted, though? Oh, bad. I don't remember. <laughs> Jay, no. No, Jay, there's a, there's a very specific term he uses. What What's the term? It's the goat Remind balls. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I was thinking of uh, Core 2019, not Test of Metal. Yeah. All right. We're saying a lot of stuff this episode that I don't like. <laughs> this is just a cursed episode. I, I'm sorry, Ashley. I do like the idea of somebody eventually ending up on the meditation realm with, like, elderly Bolas and assumingly Ugin Bones because he just dies there or dies off plane. And Bolas being able to manipulate, like, just in a exact mirror setting as his manipulation of Venser and Rada in Time Spiral Block. He doesn't know his own name, but he also, like, went by an alias when he was doing it to Venser and Rada. So there are, what I'm saying is Sensei Ryu will rise again. Alright, so our next question comes from Rathalok IRL. Hey everyone, all attention is currently focused on War for the Spark. 
But something I would like to know, what is your speculation on the consequences of Ulamog and Kozilek's deaths, if any? Well, we're just going to feel real bad about it for starters because they're innocent good boys. <laughs> Murdered out of their time. I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, I never actually stopped wondering about that because that's very mysterious. The Eldrazi are very mysterious. Um, and I want to know. Like, I want to know the answer to this question because I don't know. I hope it's something cool. I hope it's not... A forgotten plot thread. I believe I've shared this with Jay and Lorelai before, but it feels like they are open to the potential of cataclysm causes bad thing that we had to retroactively tie for time spiral block. Like all the rifts being happen or all the rifts happening as a result of this specific cataclysm. And I feel like them even just leaving like the hint of that possibility in there from Ugin gives them the freedom to just tie basically whatever metaphysical change to the multiverse that they want to to that event and then punish the Gatewatch retroactively. My theory is that the seal on Merit Lage's ice has finally <laughs> broken and with the three guardians um, being destroyed or sealed into some weird moon... Merylage rises again and begins to threaten the multiverse once again. All right, so moving on. <laughs> our next question comes from at FIFO. Vers- Nobody wants to know what I think? No. We always we already know it's not Merylage, so we don't care. Oh, so ahead. brutal. No, go ahead, Lorelai. I'm sorry. We've already gotten the most important consequence of Ulamog and Kozilek's death, which was Ugin's absolute shredding of the Gatewatch. That's the important part. Yelling at Jace. That's what it was for. Yeah, but everybody yells at Jace. That, that's a good secondary I know, it's point. great. And he still had to make up for it like a year later. It's trope space. Yell at Jace. All my favorite characters yell at Jace. Like, I don't know why Like that <laughs> has been a recurring thing in characters I like, but it is. So, okay, now we can move on. So her next question comes from at FIFO versus... Are the colors competing for power in New Phyrexia? Do they want to overthrow each other, or are they harmoniously part of the whole? If so, wouldn't true completion be seen as all five colors? Nope. So, the red faction doesn't care about what the other factions do, and the other factions are vying for superiority with, I believe, Elish Norn's faction being the strongest at the last bit of lore that we, are, that we know of? Yeah, she had dominated Shieldred's domain, and I don't remember if Gingetaxius was included in that, or Gingetaxius, however you want to say it. It's interesting. I think that they have a lot of potential of returning to New Phyrexia, but at the same time, I feel like the colors competing against each other will be like pretty integral to that, so I don't know if something like Atraxa is going to exactly be story-relevant as anything other than a message courier between the factions. And it's not even, like, truly between the factions, because when you get down into New Phyrexia world-building, there are multiple factions upon sub-factions inside of each of the colors. So getting full control over 
um, the philosophy that the color is going to head into is also going to be a struggle in itself. So they have like these intra-color conflicts and then they have the inter-color conflicts. And I like that. I, I like that a lot more than I like five-color Phyrexian cards or the potential for that, so... It's way more interesting than Mono Black Phyrexia ever was, I think. What was What's really interesting about New Phyrexia is it took Old Phyrexia's philosophies and split them appropriately along the color pie. So each of them, you know, the, the, the question asked, if so, wouldn't True Completion be seen as becoming all five colors? No, because each colored faction has a different idea of what True Completion means. And then Gliss is in there somewhere. <laughs> I believe she's still working for Vorinclex. Uh, that is correct. But we need an update because it's been a while since we've been there in universe and in real life. So this next one's a little bit related. So um, let's move on to the next question, which is from Candelaria78 on Twitter. I just want more backstory on the Praetors. So the Praetors, we should note, their origins are kind of, I don't want to say iffy, but... My answer to this question is, gee, I sure would like some more backstory on them too. <laughs> I want to know where Shieldred got her, like, um, whatever you would call her leg part, since that's not part of her. It's her car. What the hell is it? And I want to know, yeah, it's her car. Like, <laughs> was that at one point part of somebody and she just like crawled in its head? Or did she, was she just like, I don't have legs um, and I feel bad about this. Oh God, I didn't realize we could have legendary Shieldred could just be a vehicle and <laughs> driving the vehicle. Because she is, a, she is, okay, more of her oh. is not part of her, like mass wise. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this goes into how Nuphyrexia developed as a block, which in short was inverse of how they wanted to plan it. They wanted to show off Nuphyrexia and then you discover that it was Mirrodin after the fact. But when they had to flip-flop that, we ended up with them being proud of seeding the Praetor names and flavor text and then the Praetors and stuff like the Seven Steel Thanes just being entirely absent from the novels. You get to see one of the Steel Thanes, but you don't actually get to like know that there are other competitions for leaders of Phyrexia. Technically, too, because isn't Geth a Steel Thane? Yeah, so Geth was the only one there. and then... Geth and Shieldred, yep. Oh yeah, you're right. No, in the novel it was just Geth. And then... And then... Uh, Glissa worked for Vornklex, and even though we didn't really hear that at all in the novel, it it was not the peak of storytelling. All right, so our next question comes from Toasty Nuts eighty six on Tumblr. If Unstable had received a Mythic Edition with eight Planeswalkers, which eight would you have chosen? I think Jay's first response will be Black Red Doretti. Well, I got a Black Red Doretti already, so I don't need another one of those. My first response would be eight Commodore Guffs. <laughs> Lorelai, what would your unstable Mythic Edition be? I'm, there's only one confirmed Planeswalker in, in the the Universe. It's just Urza so far, so like I don't I don't even know who else you could put. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Brian, how about you? My lady, the lady of Lanoir, Fraylise. Ashley? Um, I think all of the planeswalkers that like haven't really gotten their chance to have a card yet, like I think even in the universe, they could have their time to shine, like all the ones you forgot about, like Carrie, whatever, that planeswalker that you were for a while, Vronos, and um Wow. And Ramaz and uh all the randos who died in World of the Spark. I think all of them they deserve to get a card. The what is this, Vishino? Yeah. I was I was hesitant for a second because I thought Zat was back. Oh, and that one guy. Um, oh, I don't remember. I remember that cycle? Cause what was the cycle that had the guy, and he was on all the different planes, like bad stuff happening. Oh, the oh, unluckiest planeswalker. Yes. Yeah, he would be actually be a great un yeah, I'd love, planeswalker. Like serious answer, I'd like to see that guy because that was that was really good. You know what? I would like to see like. I want to see the Titan engines throw in an extra Planeswalker, but I would want to see all nine, nine um, Titan en- like the Planeswalker cards with them representing being in the Titan engines. Do, do you want to see that as a Silver Border Planeswalker card? No, or... I want the legit Titan <laughs> Yeah, this question is evolving because now I'm thinking of other things because, Brian, you said Fraley's, and I'm like, you know what I really wish they had done in one of these Mythic Editions is do a Freyalise card, but give her her old hat and armor from the Armada comics. Yeah. You push this agenda every day, Lorelai. Oh, uh, man. It, I, I feel like we all land in the same exact place, which is we will take advantage of this question to try to push as many black-bordered planeswalkers that we want to see in things <laughs> as possible. But I think, like, unironically, stuff like having Sarah in Modern Horizons, even though assuming there's no actual storyline going along with this and Sarah would not be part of that storyline if so. It's just fun to see planeswalkers that aren't going to see print anywhere else in supplementary products. And if it's going to be like a mythic edition for something as jokey as Unstable, you might as well go all out and have like Meslock from Duelist or random characters that nobody actually cares about but you're just making planeswalker cards because maybe the design space isn't ever going to be available for standard or maybe you just want to have fun (laughs) so our next question comes from astiago on twitter what do you think of the story of stuffy doll any flavor or just a neat story so to clarify stuffy doll is a Weird-looking doll that appeared in a bunch of early Magic cards. Black Vice, Cursed Rack, Leshrac's Rite, The Rack, Wall of Wonder. It was basically this poor stuffed animal that was just getting tortured in Magic cards over and over. And in Time Spiral, it got its own card. And it even had a Vanguard avatar. (laughs) So this card has gotten a lot. But there's no real lore associated with it. It's just... uh, Basically, the artist Richard Thomas used it for a bunch of stuff. I will mention the two actual cameos that I know. In the Homelands comic, I believe Faraz throws a stuffy doll in front of... In some kind of battle, I can't remember who it was with. But one of the first actual Uncharted Realms stories was called Threadbare. And it's just about um, a stuffy doll getting hit with like a Shivan meteor. That was pretty much the entire story 
again, like the first Uncharted realms were pretty basic in their premise, and we're trying to do game me- game mechanically cool stuff. Oh, chronologically, yeah, that was number one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I remember those for whatever odd reason, but it was a fun story. Again, the exploration of web fiction at that time was limited, but basically, Stuffy Doll was kind of like the Stuffy Doll was kind of like an early Fibblethip. It was like this cute thing that just pop- kept popping up in art. I would buy a <laughs> Stuffy Doll plush. Yeah, uh, really. I'm sure somebody has made one, but yes. <laughs> so moving on to the next question, this is from at pkinter13. How exciting is it that we're finally getting a card for Sarah? Do you think Modern Horizons will have an Urza card too? Blind Seer and Unstable don't count. So, <laughs> obviously, Lorelai can't talk about this one. I would say it's very exciting that we're getting a Sarah card, for sure. Uh, but what do you all think? I can't really speculate either. What do you all think about uh, the the other question? No. <laughs> no Urza. <laughs> Well, I think they already confirmed that the the second Planeswalker is going to be a new Planeswalker. Other than that, I think Urza's head is kind of a confirmation that we're not going to get a serious one. I could only hope. So our next question comes from Foehammer. Vorthos folks, what do we know about Cauldra? I'd like to build a house-ruled EDH deck around the character, but my cursory lore search for flavor inspiration came up short. So, Cauldra, I'll go ahead and mention here, because have any of you read the Mirrodin books? Regrettably. I read it specifically (laughs) to learn about Cauldra, too, and it was not worth it. I did the smart thing and let y'all read it, and then got to hear y'all talk about how boring that series was. Basically, they they find all these pieces that the, the... They find all three, they put it together, have the automaton, and Mimnark does exactly what his card does. He steals Mim- he steals the cauldron thing and turns it against um, Glissa and Slowbad, so kind of bad. Should have put Hexproof on him too. It was not a worthwhile payoff for the amount of time that they were in this book looking for all three pieces of cauldron, only for it to be stolen. It was obliterated by the green sun i believe and i think that was the end of it we didn't, had no idea who cauldron was mirrodin wasn't like the most hotly populated plane at the time so why there was this spirit avatar thing attached to armor we don't know it was just kind of a cool thing we thought of <laughs> it's disappointing because it's there's like four legendary creatures in the entire block and, you know, there's there's like Glissa, Slowbad, Bosch, and Memnarch. And then number five was essentially Cauldron. There's Raksha. Oh, Raksha too. Yeah, you're right. And number six. I feel like people are a lot more attached to, like, token cards or legendary creatures that only come as tokens that are produced by another card. Stuff like Dark Depths producing Merit Age and like Voja produced from Tolzmere and Cauldra is an expensive one but I feel like it still ranks pretty high in like the cool things you can do with I guess not combo but assembling pieces of your deck 
It was really cool. Uh, so Mirrodin was the first block that had come out after I started playing Magic. Um, I, I had gotten into it that summer. Then Mirrodin was the fall set, and um, equipment was brand You're new. Old. It was the the first time we'd ever seen the card type. Sort of Cauldra came out, and uh, you know there was a lot of really bonkers equipment in the first Mirrodin set. But Sort of Cauldra as a new player, it said plus five plus five on it. So that was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen on an equipment because. There were, just weren't that many. And then Shield of Cauldra came out and it, it introduced the indestructible mechanic in Darksteel. And that was like, what do you, it just like can't be destroyed. What the hell? That's like so broken. And then the shield also had the throw forward that there would be a card named Helm of Cauldra. Well, neither of these sets had a Helm of Cauldra. What the hell? What's up with that? And then Fifth Dawn comes out and then Helm of Cauldra is kind of underwhelming. But then it had this <laughs> ability to make the Cauldra token. And it was like, wow. So if you assemble all three equipments, you get, I think it's a 9-9 indestructible uh, something trample haste. I forget what the other mechanic helm gives. Yeah, the, the token itself is a 4-4 blank legendary creature. But it has it automatically gets equipped with all three equipments. So it has indestructible, first strike, trample, haste. Um, and then when, you, when it deals damage, you exile that creature. Yeah, which is silly because if you have a 9-9 first strike, pretty much anything you're dealing damage to is going to die before that ability resolves anyway. But like, it, it was just cool. And it was like this this cool, exciting new card type with all these exciting words on them. And like, live the dream. There were They were the pre-release promos. Um, so there were really nice, fancy promo versions of those three cards. It was just a cool thing. So like, it's, it's understandable that that's a thing that people are excited about because like the... the that set, that block did a really bad job conveying the story. It was at that really awful period in Magic's life. That's my actual little literal nostalgia moment um, from from me as a new player. But uh, so, like, I I get it. Like, and that's part of the like. I understand the allure of things like Merrill Age. There are just exciting words on that card. Desolation Twin makes a 10-10 token and is a 10-10. Like, that's awesome. The Eldrazi Titans are awesome. There are big numbers. There's a reason why there's a whole psychographic that is about, like, getting excited for the cool, neat, awesome, amazing things that cards can do. It, like, it's, it's, a, it's a shame, though, like, because culture just doesn't live up to that hype, um, I think, in the canon. Oh, yeah. Not at all. Like, not even close. Mirrodin got done dirty because it had a bunch of, like, the stories had a bunch of really cool characters, and the set had, like, five legendaries distributed amongst three sets. The set had such cool world building, too. It was it was the start of a new era of magic. We weren't going to do crap with Dominaria anymore. Um, we were just going to implicate Karn in every set. Um. <laughs> Let me tell you that people were not reviewing the defunct magic forms people were not hype about seeing glissa as a phyrexian after she was pretty much one of the only characters still alive at the end of the block <laughs> it's a shame though because she looked really cool with the sword attached to her arm people are just unhappy because it was like she was the hero of the first set and then she was a villain with like no gap filled in in between but we can go into more detail like we have plenty of time that we're going to have time for feature episodes on stuff like this in the future. So yeah. we can definitely go in-depth. 
my I personally want to give a shout out for Other Wizard, who's this badass that didn't get his own name, but survived the entire book along the heroes. And at the end, he was just referred to as the Other Wizard uh, alongside Bruenna, I think her name was, which was this blue aligned uh, wizard character from the original Mirrodin who never got a card. Yeah, I recall she has um, a bunch of flavor text and is a pretty key player in the novels. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's and just like doesn't have a card, just never got a card. Yeah, uh, because it ended. She was the essentially would have been the blue aligned character if it was a dun 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 cycle. <laughs> there was like one character from from each color alignment because you had Glissa green, Slobad red. Uh, Geth in black, uh, Raksha in white, and then Bruenna in blue. But Bruenna never got a card. Our last question for the day comes from Iron Hitman 2000. Did Sorin create the four angel sisters? And the answer to that is... No. <laughs> in fact, he's responsible for one of their deaths. Yeah, so Sorin create, created Avacyn. And Avison killed one of the four sisters, but the four sisters all predated Avison. Yeah, um, I love Innistrad, partly because it has this huge, deep, thousands years history of folklore and religion that get usurped by Soren's Church of Avison, um, and and adopts a lot of the 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 folk techniques and the folk beliefs into a formalized religion built around a central church built around Avison. So so Bruna, Gisela, Sigarda, and the fourth sister were the original archangels, as far as we know, on Innistrad who watched over humanity. And Soren said, hey, by the way, I'm making a fifth angel and uh, she's going to lead a church, so y'all serve her now. And everyone was fine with that except for the fourth sister, who's implied to be black-white aligned who spent too much time with demons and other evil things and had, I think, a little too much sympathy and empathy and camaraderie with them, which is why Avacyn killed her. So um, I'm sure we'll see a card of her one day because people keep asking, especially in questions like this. Yeah, Soren just kind of, like, usurped an entire world's religion. So, uh, awkward. Yeah. Soren perfectly demonstrates the danger of wanting to force a cycle. He made the fifth angel sister, which was white, white, and ruined the whole <laughs> no, cycle Gary. as a result. <laughs> no. Gary, why? Why? And on that note, let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought for the week is that I am super excited for Modern Horizons. Like... This is going to be crazy, y'all. I am, like, just that it opens with Sarah. It it has to be going deep, way deeper than that. I can't wait to see all the surprises in store. Lorelai? I, 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 I hope all of, all of the really sweet things uh, made it into the set. We had, uh, we had an awesome team with a lot of, a lot of old-time Vorthos fans. We cooked up good stuff. I, I, I think I think it's going to be very, very exciting for the Vorthos community. I mean, I, I guess my final thought is just echoing yours. I'm just, I just, it is surreal to be in this moment when, um, like, 
writing for Arena is awesome. And that was cool. Getting to write actual cards is a whole other level of exciting and like it it's real like i didn't dream that up it's great i'm i'm so excited for modern horizons i hope everybody loves this set i hope everybody buys this set so that they can make a second one so i can work on that one too brian my final thought is screw this coughing my final thought is i'm really happy that i got to talk about shieldred's legs in this episode (laughs) so thank you for that how do you think she wears pants she is wearing pants that's like that's her pants does she have pants for her pants though i don't know it can be like one of those how would she wear pants like this or like this that can be that can be we'll save that for next episode though carrie i don't really have a final thought for this week let me think got nothing funny to say my final thought is another week without mtg portal We don't have the MTG Portal app yet. We do have a Patreon for the Vorthos cast, our fun little show here. If you enjoy listening to our show, whether you've been listening since the beginning or recently hopped on, and you want to help support it and keep it running, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. Everyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to our Discord community, where we have Vorthoses from around the world getting together, hanging out, being excited for new things. We are leaving the Vorthos wonderland of War of the Spark and hopping right into uh, Modern Horizons, and it is so unbelievably awesome. You definitely don't want to miss any of the discussions that are happening, any of the excitement. Get hyped up. Join the hype. Be hyped with everybody. Explode with hype. Maybe not explode. That is dangerous. Um, we we value your lives, all you listeners out there. So uh, be, uh, c- celebrate accordingly and don't go overboard. But if you want to be a little excited, you can head over to our Patreon. Keep the show running so we can keep recording it and talking about the awesome things that are happening in the Vorthos Realm of Magic. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.